Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up rockabilly track. Now writing restraining order for Cyril Khan. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down episode 9 of Andor. Plus, we've got tons of film and TV news to get into. And you know we got to talk some AEW. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning potential spoilers for upcoming films and shows ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. Alright, up first we've got some good news, and we've got some bad news for Witcher fans. With season 3 of The Witcher currently set for summer of 2023, Netflix and Henry Cavill made some announcements for season 4, with Cavill officially stepping down from the role of Geralt of Rivia. Replacing him will be Hunger Games star Liam Hemsworth. Cavill gave you know his praise for the showrunners and you know Liam as he gracefully bows out, most likely having his future schedule being taken up by DC projects. I'm personally a little bit disappointed as last week I literally praise Cavill's performance as Geralt on the show, but I'll try and keep an open mind about Liam Hemsworth. Just haven't really seen him in anything I like just yet, but who knows? Maybe this will be, you know, the project for him. So while I'm not a Witcher fan, I've never seen the show or read the books or, you know, played the video games for that matter. Um, I do obviously sympathize with fans because I can't imagine, you know, being a huge fan of a show and having the main character completely recasted on you. Um, you know, after just, what is this, the second season, Christian? Or this is the, they're going into the third season, right? They're going into the third, yeah. Okay, so he is in the third season. Yes. Okay. But, I mean, the show is called The Witcher, so <laughs> it's pretty huge to recast the main star of the show. Especially an actor who's, you know, as beloved as, you know, Henry Cavill. So, um, I'm guessing this is... DC related since now he's officially back as Superman you know his schedule is going to be pretty full but there's also been rumors of you know creative differences those are just rumors you know they're they're unverified obviously but but just hearing like how passionate Henry is is about the source material I could totally see that being the case um, where maybe he butted heads a little with the showrunners um, but once again, those are just rumors. So, I mean, disappointing news regardless. I mean, I'm not even a fan of when they, you know, switch up voice actors on anime and stuff like that, let alone a live action. It's going it's, it's, it's to be something hard to be like adjust to, oh. but I'm willing to give it a chance. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, it would be like The Walking Dead recasting Rick Grimes after like two or three seasons, you mm -hmm. know, or, uh, you know, re you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, recasting Buffy after a couple of seasons. You know, it's something that doesn't happen very often. Usually it's more like side characters. So, I mean, you're changing the chemistry of the whole show when you do something like that. Have you seen Liam Hemsworth in anything? Outside of The Hunger Games, no. I haven't really seen him in anything. And he was very middling performance in uh, The Hunger Games. But that was years ago. I, I mean, I've, I was... I've never seen a minute of The Hunger Games. So uh -huh. I, I don't 
recognize him from anything else though like reading over his like you know filmography is like i don't think i've seen this dude in anything besides exactly. like maybe a commercial or two <laughs> when he's you know hanging out with his brother chris but that that's pretty much it i didn't even realize chris had two brothers <laughs> so because i i thought this was the brother who was doing the cameos in the thor movies you know playing you know thor for the you know mm -hmm. loki stage production of you know of you know usually the past you know films so yeah no I, I i i don't know this guy's work at all again hopefully you know it's it's a coming out role for the guy and it all goes well and i love how positive you're being right now christian what, what's going on <laughs> I, I, i'm trying to be positive because I'm, I'm hoping that this doesn't turn into like what paramount did with halo you know just going off and it's completely the wrong direction you know I, i'm hoping it's the well, right way luckily the showrunners are staying on board yeah. so i can't imagine it going off the rails that quickly but i mean liam has huge shoes to fill so hopefully mm -hmm. the guy can act um you know because that's the one thing like cavill has the look but he can also fucking act so um yeah it, it's hard to replace someone like cavill you know, someone his stature, his size, where he looks like an action figure come to life. But then uh -huh. he also has skills as an actor. So, I mean, yeah, he's a five tool player. All right. Up next, we finally have an update for Netflix's Sandman series. Netflix confirmed this week that Sandman would be renewed for a season two. Deadline reports that the story would pick up following the first season in the comics season of Miss Arc. Um, Neil Gaiman claimed that the announcement actually came a little bit slow because of the show's overall high budget, but it seems like Netflix is all in and hopefully continues to deliver on this series. No word on a release window just yet. Yeah, there's a lot of anxiety over this, especially knowing, you know, that Netflix has been kind of struggling a little this past mm -hmm. year um, and knowing like how big of a budget this show had. A lot of people were naturally scared that, you know, Netflix would want to cut ties. Um, so, I mean, this is definitely good news. Moving on to the Marvel side of things, we got some news and rumors for the upcoming Disney Plus Agatha series. Looks like Joe Locke of the Netflix series Heartstopper has been cast in an undisclosed role in Agatha Coven of Chaos, which comes in from Variety. Um, having played a character that identified as gay in that series has also led people to speculate on the rumor of someone playing Billy, Wanda's son, in this spinoff show. But there's been no actual confirmation of Joe's role just yet. But you know, speaking of rumors, Aubrey Plaza is also being said to join the cast. Um, Aubrey Plaza is, of course, known for her roles in like series like Parks and Rec. And apparently in this one, she'll be getting a mystery role. At least that's what Illuminati said. Yeah, the rumor is that she's supposed to be playing a villain. Um, I could see her playing like Morgan Le Fay or even Lilith. Um, not Dracula's daughter, though. There's actually two Liliths in the uh, Marvel comic books. There's okay. Dracula's daughter, and then there's this, you know, super powerful sorcerer. So I could see her playing uh, the sorcerer version just because she has ties to the Darkhold. Gotcha. Because I don't know most of the, like, monsterverse Marvel characters. I th like, I thought of the sorceress, like, immediately. But, I mean, who knows? They've thrown us curveballs in the past. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone remembers the Dick Boner situation. So um, hopefully that's not you know the scenario here as far as joe Locke, i've never seen the heartstopper show so i mean if he is playing billy hopefully he can act right because <laughs> it's a major role i mean he kind of looks like the kid version that we saw in wandavision so i can totally see that you know a little hair dye and something that could be a whole new character that's true 
movie magic. But Aubrey Plaza, as any type of witch, is perfect. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, she's an amazing actress, so I'm excited to hear that she's on board with the project. And this mm-hmm. isn't her first foray into, like, a Marvel property, because she was also part of that Legion show that's, you know, unattached to the MCU. So, and apparently she was fantastic in that. So I'm all for this. We also had a quick update on Wonder Man as it was confirmed by Deadline that Yaha Abdul-Mateen II would be picking up the role. Um, Working under director Destin Daniel Cretton, I'm sure we will see another fantastic performance coming from Yaha. Yeah, I mean, we said it last week when this rumor first came out, Yaha is an amazing actor. So, I mean, if you can get on, on board with any like of your shows or films, you do it. Um, you know, me personally, I just wish it was someone other than Wonder Man. I mean, but maybe they add a wrinkle to that character that, you know, makes me fall in love with them. I've just never been a huge fan. <laughs> so um, and have we heard yet whether or not this is definitely a series or is this going to be one of those like special event? Because it's kind of back and forth, like what shape this was actually going to take. Yeah, still no word if it's going to be a series or a special event. Um I'm assuming right now it's going to be a series just because they have dust, you know, Destin Daniel Cranton on it and stuff like that. You think you would want a bigger event out of it, but, you know, he can do a lot with a little. So, yeah, we'll that's see. true. I mean, we talked about it prior where like they could be using a lot of these special events to almost play as like a prologue to, you know, other films or other series. Mm. It's just a wonderful way to introduce new characters uh, before they show up elsewhere. Also, it. Has Yaha done many comedies? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I mean, I haven't seen any. Wasn't of them. the premise of this show, at least what we heard floating around, that this was going to be more of a like more comedic in nature, like really diving into like the showbiz aspect of the MCU? That's right, because Ben Kingsley's character uh, Trevor is supposed to be in this also. Yes. So I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's a great actor, so I'm sure he could pull it off. All right, moving on to DC, we have some casting news for the upcoming Penguin series. Deadline reports that Christine Milioti will be starring as Sofia Falcone in the Penguin HBO Max series. As the daughter of Carmine Falcone, she will reportedly be fighting with Penguin for control of the city. Kristen Milioti is best known for her role in Wolf of Wall Street, along with 2020's Palm Springs. Still no word on when the Penguin will be released, but I'm curious to see how a battle for Gotham will play out and overall affect the direction of the Batman 2. Because, well, full spoiler here for you know the batman if you haven't seen it at, at the end of that you know it's a very active batman that we're seeing in that so i'm wondering if there's a battle in this very destroyed city isn't the batman still gonna be running around trying to save people or stop you know these two from going at each other i mean you're not wrong i always just assumed that this was going to be like a prequel series you know take place like before the batman so, yeah, I don't know how they're going to work around that, because I'm assuming the Batman's not going to pop up, you know, in this show. But mm-hmm. who knows? I wouldn't be mad if he, he if he does. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to horror, uh, the spinoff film of A Quiet Place, A Quiet Place Day One, has casted their lead. Bloody Disgusting reports that Lupita Nyong'o will be the lead star in A Quiet Place Day One, which is said to be a spinoff from the first two films, to potentially inspire more spinoffs in the future. The idea actually came straight from Krasinski himself, but will be directed by Michael Cernoski, who directed Pig most recently in 2021. Krasinski has also been supposedly, you know, 
teasing a third film to complete the trilogy of the Abbott family, which of course started this whole adventure for us. I love the idea of like living in the moment, like when shit goes down. I mean, we get a taste of it mm. in the sequel um, for the first like 15 minutes or so. Uh, I love to see them just do a whole film like that and just watch, you know, everything just go awry. And Lupita is such a strong actress. She could totally carry this film like on her back if she needs to. Exactly. I thought that was perfect casting to go up against this type of creature, you know, someone who could really put on a performance with just her face alone. Yeah. I mean, look what she did with us, right? Well, up next, it looks like Brian Fuller and A24 is teaming up to bring us a Friday the 13th prequel series that will be streaming exclusively on Peacock. A24, along with Brian Fuller, will be working on a prequel series to the Friday the 13th franchise called Crystal Lake. With all the legality of who owns the rights of Jason and Friday the 13th, the big question became, you know, what can this show use and what can it not? for you know, a lot of fans out there. In which, during an interview with Fangoria, Brian Fuller claimed that since this is a stream series, A24 and Mark Toberoff were able to get access to literally everything, meaning the series will have no restrictions in what it can use. When asked if Jason would be a part of it since, you know, in the beginning it's way more about Pamela Voorhees, Fuller simply claimed, I wouldn't count Jason out, and later stated that there's potential to see many iterations of Jason with an ongoing series. For those unaware, Brian Fuller has worked on such shows as, you know, Star Trek Discovery, American Gods, and most notably Hannibal. So yeah, initially when this story came out, there was a lot of backlash. Um, and I think part of it is so many fans are at this point just starving for a little more Jason in their lives. I mean, it's been 10 years since we had the Friday the 13th, you know, remake, which was lackluster to say the least, um, that, you know, we've all been kind of waiting with bated breath, you know, for some news of, you know, another film. So the idea of a prequel series starring, you know, Pamela Voorhees feels like a wasted opportunity, especially if like part of the reason why we're getting this is because of, you know, the lawsuit that's, you know, been frustrating fans for years now. But with that being said, you know, with A24 and Brian Fuller teaming up, um, I was willing to give it a shot. And that's because, you know, what Fuller did with Hannibal was simply uh, amazing. Like he reinvented that story. And at the end, he delivered one of my favorite like horror TV series of all time. So I don't know. I was willing to give it a chance um, because if anyone could pull it off, it would be him. But after hearing this interview with him, I'm definitely, you know, a hundred times more excited now. Um, I mean, just knowing that everything Friday the 13th related now uh, is open game to them. Um, there's just so many like possibilities, you know, uh, for this series, uh, you know, and I guess this is all due to Rob Barsiman. Uh, being on board as an executive producer. Apparently his company, uh, Horror Inc., uh, owns all the elements that uh, Victor Miller doesn't. Um, so, and I don't know if he co-owns it with Sean Cunningham, and I'm not, you know, even wanting to go down that avenue <laughs> at this point. Uh -huh. um, I mean, it's such a legal headache at this point. Um, I, I can't wrap my head around it, honestly. But just the fact that we have the prospects of finally seeing Jason, you know, stalking the woods of Crystal Lake again. I mean, I don't know, man. I'm over the moon for this. 
And I think a, a series like this is a great way to really like explore the lore of the character. Um, I mean, look at what they've been doing with the the Chucky series, um, which has been you know fantastic. All right, you know what Christian's fun idea two fifty two is? I don't want to know, Christian. I'll be honest. It's not as bad as as usual. Two fifty one was horrible, so <laughs> and so was the other two hundred and fifty. So, all right, Christian, shoot, let's hear it. What if they just recreate all the films perfectly in you know televised form, like just a straight remake? Not like a straight because like, that works they'll, so they'll well fix for the Psycho. continuity for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is going to be more of like a reimagining, I'm assuming, uh, but I don't know. I don't need a like a scene for scene remake or anything. But the fact that he's seems so focused on Pamela, you know, in the interview sounds like she's going to be a bigger part of, you know, the series lineage, at least. Absolutely. So I don't know exactly what that looks like. Um, you know, is it going to be something like what we saw with like Freddy vs. Jason, where like Pamela's like haunting, you know, Jason still? Um, who knows? Like she's still like pulling his strings, even in like flashbacks. I don't know. I mean, I still feel like a first season just focusing on like Pamela, you know, being this murderer of the on the camp would be fine. Like even seeing up to the point where Jason dies. Like I know she is murderous after the fact but like what mm. if there was just something wrong with her to begin with well there's a there's a lot of like fan fiction you know about like his father too which is a character mm -hmm. that you know they never introduced um but the i believe the director and writer of part six had an idea for kind of like an epilogue um where he would show up um, and we'd find out, you know, that, you know, he, he's been kind of like in the background this entire time. And you have everything that's kind of hinted at with, you know, Jason goes to hell that she might have been like dabbling with like the Necronomicon, you know, and dark magic. Hmm. So so there's a lot of different directions they could go into if they wanted to. Yeah, I guess we should just be happy that there's something coming. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Beggars can't be choosers at this point. And like I said, I mean, Brian Fuller is an amazing artist so i mean an a24 on top of things i mean come on i mean maybe they even go to space he did joke about that so <laughs> oh and before we go we had a update on the last of us it's going to be coming out january 15th on hbo max i'm looking forward to this i mean i just want something zombie wise that's not related to the walking dead at this point yes and we already know pedro pascal can play an adoptive father so this is all going to work out you know? exactly all right christian it's that time again let's go ahead and break down episode nine of andor warning spoiler alert major spoilers for andor ahead you have been warned i've realized that life was worth living i realized that if nothing else there was justice and beauty in the galaxy and if it just kept going Perhaps my deranged belief that there was something better faded for me in the future was a dream worth clinging to. I could have you arrested. You were aware of that. I want what you want. I sense it. I know it. You're out of your mind. I have already given you a second chance. You come near me again, you pursue any of this, and I swear I'll have you in a cage on the outer rim. 
We kick off this week's episode right where we left off with Bix getting placed in the hot seat after her signal was discovered by the ISB. Miro puts on an intimidating front as she tries to have you know Bix willingly give her all the information without torture. But Bix can see right through her bullshit as she realizes she's going to get tortured no matter what, even if she tells the truth. Which then leads us to the introduction of Dr. Gorst, who uses a very special torture device that plays back literally the screams of dying children from a moon the Empire attacked. This is some straight up clockwork orange shit. Like, Tony Gilroy loves him some Kubrick. Um... <laughs> This whole episode really is just about how ruthless and fucked up the Empire is, and I loved every second of it. When we later return to a now defeated Bix, we learn of her partner, you know, Pac's fate, as while they want to keep Bix alive in their, you know, quest to find Luthen, Pac will be hung in the square in a similar fashion to Andor's adopted father, Clem. See? <laughs> some fucked up shit <laughs> from start to finish it's ridiculous although i feel like all this is going to eventually backfire on them because the people of ferrix are not going to take this laying down and really at the end of the day that's what luthan is looking for right exactly stoking the rebellion on Coruscant, we again see Mon Mothma pleading out to the Senate for support against the new laws Palpatine has enforced, but really only getting met by a chorus of boos and people just outright leaving the chamber. Yeah, I mean, you really had a feel for her here because like once she started to like, you know, say her piece, people were just like, peace, see you later. <laughs> um, and it didn't seem like it was out of fear. It was more of they just are probably content on what, you know, the Emperor's doing. I mean, from what we've seen at all these cocktail parties she's been holding, mm -hmm. there's a lot of you know politicians sitting pretty fat and satisfied right now. So, of course, they're not going to have any patience for someone trying to rock the boat. Well, then I want to know why they're partying so hard when Palpatine died. You know what I'm saying? When they showed all those fireworks going off, of course. <laughs> yeah, but that's after he created a planet-destroying weapon. It's, it's a little different at that yes. point. And those weren't senators. Right. So, I mean, they could have been upset that they're about to lose power. After leaving the Senate, Mon Mothma is surprised by a visit from her cousin, who actually turns out to be Vel. Vel decided, you know, after leaving Cinta on Aldani to make appearances as, you know, her Bruce Wayne alter ego, you know, to keep up that facade. Only, you know, stopping here to check in with Mon Mothma, which both of them continue to show a lot of concern for one another as, you know, one risks her life in battle on Luthen's behalf and the other one risks it on, you know, the Senate floor and at home. Yeah, this is a surprise. I, I didn't see this connection coming um i'm wondering if like maybe something happens where Vel, you know ends up dying for the cause and maybe that's what pushes mon mothma to come out of the shadows you know leaving the senate and you know putting together a fully formed you know rebellion you know uniting all the separate like little factions right now speaking of things getting risky for mon mothma she later has a meeting with tay Colma at home it you know seems in her desperation to move funds around she did not leave the best paper trail as her account shows that 400,000 is missing. Tay Colma looking to, you know, fill this gap sets up a meeting for Mon Mothma with Davos Skulden, who in Mon's eyes is nothing more than a crook. But with the Empire closing in, she will need to fix this oversight before being caught. Yeah, I still don't trust Tay in the way that Mon Mothma like completely cringed when 
he brings up was it da- davos yeah like tells you all you really need to know about the guy so something's gonna go down here i think yeah it makes you wonder if like tay owes him money or something and is trying to get it out of her i don't know exactly honestly like i thought he was gonna bring up like a hut or something like that uh-huh <laughs> Dedra Miro, on her return to Coruscant, then brings a massive list of all the parts stolen by Bix and her crew to be, you know, sold to Axis, aka Luthen. On top of that, Miro puts it together that Cassian was a part of the rebel group on Aldani with a little bit of help from her assistant, which only allows Miro to continue to impress the ISB Major in her hunt for Luthen. I have a feeling this is going to help her just move up the ranks even faster. Hell, she might even get the Major's job soon enough. Miro's crew only seems to be closing in on the rebels faster, as later in the episode, you know, her assistant actually informs her of a rebel pilot being found, and after a swift interrogation by Dr. Gorst, Miro is able to bring the planned rebel assault on the Imperial Power Station to the Major. This was, you know, the plan we learned about actually last week when Luthen attempted to, you know, get Saw Guerrera to work with the other rebel group. Yeah, I mean, this was some serious, like, cause and effect. It sounds like because Saw and agreed to help them out that pilot ended up getting captured it just really demonstrates like how important like all these separate cells eventually like unite um that they're not gonna win this fight on their own when we meet up with Cyril Karn this week, we see that nothing has really changed between him and his mother. She continues to hurl insult after insult Karn's way, but he's able to get her to calm down by explaining he has gotten a recent promotion at his job. We also learn that he has a secret box of some sort in his room that he doesn't want his mother snooping in. Do you think it's just more cereal? Because this guy really loves his fucking cereal. <laughs> um, after this episode, I'm afraid it's like animal heads, to be honest <laughs> with you. Like Ewok heads or something? Uh-huh. Weird? Like- <laughs> <laughs> Later on, Cyril Karn attempts to approach Miro as she's going into the ISB building. In his emboldened speech on how he's destined to help her and the ISB, he admits to somewhat stalking Miro, in which she threatens to have him arrested if he attempts to contact her or go after Andor himself, but even after being scolded, it looks like there was a small smile creeping up on his face as we cut away. What a creep. Yes. <laughs> He's losing it, man. Like, he just felt so, like, desperate and sad here. After this exchange, like, I'm wondering if he's going to end up going rogue, you know, and trying to, like, find Cassian on his own and just, like, completely getting in the way and causing Cassian you know, to escape once again. One thing's for sure, though, Cassie definitely does not want these two hooking up. <laughs> no, <laughs> that would be awful. But I don't think Miro wants anything to do with him either. No, no, <laughs> and I, I don't blame her. <laughs> the fact that he's been waiting days outside, like he'd be showing up there just to see uh-huh. if she comes out. Yeah. Jesus. Hey, man, in the 80s, that was considered romantic. I was, I can't remember what I was watching, but like, <laughs> I was like, this is fucking, I was watching so, it was, um, Maybe it was say anything. It was one of where, those where he's like got the, the thing above his head. Yeah, yeah. boombox. Is with Cusack. Anyway, regardless, it, yeah. I mean, it, it was it, it was a romantic comedy, but I was like, th- this is such an '80s trope. But mm. <laughs> like, it's just stalking. That's all it is. Yes. It's, it's literally <laughs> stalking. It's not cute or romantic. <laughs> it's like serial killer shit. But you know, that was the '80s. Yeah, we've learned. <laughs> Maybe. 
Now to the hellscape of a prison that Cassian is in. In his crew, we have an older gentleman by the name of Olaf with just about 40 shifts left to his time. But with the constant work and his own failing health, it's making it harder and harder for him to complete these shifts. While at the end of last week's episode, it had almost seemed like Andor was beginning to be, you know, fully indoctrinated into this prison life. But we find out that Cassian, along with other prisoners, are actually plotting their escape as they take turns going to the bathroom and weakening a pipe along with you know communicating plans on the floor as they realize some parts of the station aren't actually electrified and even some of the guards weren't wearing their protective boots either i don't know man like i think that's your head can I, I don't know if they were actually helping andor with the pipes like they were taking shifts uh but maybe um i will say like you know after last episode it felt like andor was almost like complicit um, and so it was a little bit of a shift to see him just openly talk about like escaping. Um, hmm. But I mean, it, it's definitely in the nature of the character. So um, I mean, that's fine because this really like felt like the Andor we've come to know over the last like eight episodes. Um, the, the Andor who walked into the prison, like who was already hmm. like really like scouting things out you know planning his escape you know from like the first minute he was there so i you know i mean so it's not a total like character shift or anything like that i just felt like he was so broken last episode though so i was kind of surprised to see him rebound so quickly while changing shifts, Andor's group ends up waiting longer than expected in the halls. A bit of panic begins to spread as the group, you know, attempts to decipher the coded sign language getting spread amongst the hallways. Something, you know, seems to be going on with Sector 2, all of a sudden the lights go out for a short while. Andor before bed one night decides to broach the subject of escaping with his shift leader Kino, who does everything in his power to try and ignore Cassian. Cassian berates Kino for not, you know, giving him information, but nothing works. Honestly, I thought Kino would just report him the next day for even mentioning it, but the look on his face says he may have thought about it in the past a couple of times of his own as well. He also might be fearful that it would reflect on him negatively if one of his mm -hmm. guys is talking about escaping. Like, you know, maybe the rest of his crew would end up getting punished because of I mean, I do feel like he does care about the floor. Like, the first day, it felt like he's just a dick trying to, you know, be above everyone. But after this episode, it definitely felt like he did care about the overall group. No, I agree. I agree, especially with everything that happens with Olaf. In the final moments of this week's episode, we learn the truth of what's actually going on here at the prison. After the untimely demise of our old timer with only 40 shifts left, Olaf. When Olaf begins having a stroke on the floor, Andor eventually is able to get Kino to call for a medical assistant. The doctor, which of course is another inmate there, claims it's already too late as Olaf has had a stroke and decides to put Olaf out of his misery, which he claims is the best mercy that they can have at this time. Which of course leads Andor to ask the doc, you know, further about what he knows of what went down with section two of the facility, which in turn, he divulges that once your shift, you know, comes to an end, you don't actually get set free. You return to another section of the facility. Once section two had learned this, chaos ensued and the entire floor got zapped, killing over a hundred of the inmates, back when the lights were going out earlier in the episode. And I just love the last scene where like Kino finally answers Andor and tells him like how many guards are on the floor. 
Um, just letting you know that, you know, Caesar's ready to fucking rebel, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Everything with this prison is just so messed up. Um, you know, the, the whole scene where they're all panicked and they're trying to figure out exactly what was, you know, what was going down was super intense. Um, I had no idea, like, where they were going with everything, which made no. it even more horrifying when we find out exactly what happened. I'm just really, like, looking forward to, like, the next episode where we see Andor, like, lead the escape of his entire, like, cell block. Because now that Kino's on board, you gotta figure that they're gonna rally the troops. So the reason I think the Empire is like keeping them like imprisoned this entire time is I, I think they're working on the Death Star like and they don't want that to get <laughs> out. I mean, they're working this assembly chain and I, I don't feel like they've ever mentioned exactly what they're working on. It doesn't seem like any of the prisoners even know. So it just makes sense that, you know, they would be working on this you know huge weapon and they'd want to keep it a secret i just wonder how they would unveil that like andor just comes across a screen and it's like these are parts for the death star like I, it could come out later you know it could be something luthan hmm. you know discovers or you know there's tons of different ways you could discover that so um i mean that could even be like a season two you know reveal but as a whole i thought this episode was you know amazing uh it really just once again highlights <laughs> how like cruel and twisted the empire really is i mean yeah it's not a big shocker or anything obviously but just seeing it so up close and personal and seeing yes. how it's affecting all these different individuals just you know brings a real light to it you know seeing a, a tiny planet blow up from the distance is one thing another is to watch someone burn alive from electricity on the floor right in front of them you know that's crazy that's true to imagine <laughs> although i will say like that was pretty <laughs> awful like especially obi-wan's line about hearing you know the cry of billions uh -huh. of people <laughs> yeah I, I get what you're saying but now that we've actually seen like alderaan I don't, that's pretty. It's pretty messed up, man. It's a fucking utopia planet, uh -huh, too. Right. <laughs> but with that being said, I I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm gonna miss the prison once you know Andor does escape it. I just love like how like I don't know how it's this like ode to like Kubrick and you know Lucas, you know, because it is very much like uh, THX. Um, I don't know. I, I I'm digging it. Like I could totally see like a whole season taking place and like you know uh -huh. this kind of setting so um but it is what it is i mean it's going to be exciting regardless you know what's weird like why is it only humans as prisoners i don't know i i wondered if it was a situation because they were splitting them up into different camps maybe they're bringing them closer to home worlds and that's how they explain it away like okay they're closer to where they you know were from so there's more of their own kind there. But yeah, I did question, like, why are all the aliens? And maybe it's a situation where if you only have humans in the prison, then you can design it, um, you know, knowing their weaknesses and like, you know, how to keep them captive. Where if you have a mix, then you have to worry. Because obviously, you know, certain like alien species might be stronger than others or might mm. respond differently to electric shock, you know. Um, so then, yeah, maybe they have all these prisons, like, segregated for, you know, different, like, species. Maybe. I mean, it's a great thing we're writing for them, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hasn't been explained to us. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> yeah, but you gotta figure that it's something they thought about in the writer's room, right? Like, there is some kind of backstory Probably. behind uh -huh. it 
Otherwise, it's literally just budget. You know, less costumes, less CGI. We don't have to that, deal with any that could be part of it too. <laughs> but anyway, make sure to join us next week as we break down another episode of Andor. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey you, got bush? Well, you definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. Taking control of your bush is important. These products are so good, you're going to be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. It's a fact that you'll have the best-kept nutsack on the cul-de-sac, so save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code 20NERDSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Listeners, you know I don't got bush because Manscaped helps keep my rocket raccoon high oh, and tight. Yeah. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just in need of a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. Listeners, the grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. That's because inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a bush's worst nightmare. This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin thanks to its ceramic blades and advanced skin safe technology. No need for night vision goggles, this trimmer has a LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly add some pep to your step with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Spray-On Testy Toner. With a performance package purchase, you get two free gifts, a shed travel bag, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and grooming game. So listeners get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your bush needs some help. That's right, so make sure you're running up that hill and get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com by using our code 20NerdShow. It's time to level up your grooming game with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. So this week we got a couple of stories that caught my eye gaming-wise. Um, to start, let's you know talk a little bit about Halo Infinite and its Forge beta coming next week. I was a massive fan of Halo 3 on the 360 back in the you know good old days, and one of the most replayable parts about that experience was you know the community-made games and modes that Forge produced. When Halo Infinite didn't launch with the mode, I was understanding, as I've pretty much been beaten to a pulp at this point by the games industry, to understand that most games are never done by release and either way still had hope for its return well on november 8th we can expect this fan favorite mode to make its big debut but since it's a beta it's also still being worked on by the developers 343 industries touts that forge will be the biggest and best it's ever been they promise that all of the features will be you know available on day one but right now it seems that forge creations won't be a part of matchmaking right away as that won't arrive until march 7th of next year with you know infinite season three so you'll most likely have to just search for ways to either play with new people on their maps or bookmark modes to play with your own friends. Honestly, the prospect of Forge Return makes me more interested in Infinite as it has been a while since I actually played it. Um, the game 
know, has tons of great gameplay. It's a fun story, but nothing in the end really hooked me to want to, you know, stick with it after a couple of months of it past release, especially for a game that's really focused on its multiplayer aspect. Handing the keys to the community to fill the game's lack of interesting new content will definitely boost the game's replay replayability, but we will see how many people return if anyone does. In other news, John Wick may be looking to do a big budget AAA game in the near future. During an earnings call with Lionsgate CEO, John Feltheimer claimed that they are taking in proposals from AAA studios. While there have been, you know, skins in other games like Fortnite and, of course, other indie games of John Wick, like the uh, John Wick Hex game, I do see the appeal in a combat-heavy Hitman-like experience with John Wick. You know, the universe itself is a rich environment for game developers to play with. And hell, the last John Wick film itself felt like an action, you know, video game. I do know that IO Interactive is working on a Bond game right now, but you have to imagine the team behind the most recent Hitman games has to be the perfect fit for a John Wick game. I mean, unless they are planning to go a little bit more cinematic with the game. I'd also love to see, you know, studios like Insomniac, you know, take a stab at this. I feel like they would have an interesting take on John Wick. You know, the possibilities are really endless here. And I'm totally all for, you know, seeing this move forward. So ultimately, we'll keep an eye out on more John Wick video game news in the future. As for me this week, uh, stream-wise, it's going to be a hectic one. Uh, that's for sure. I might be live every day this week. We'll find out if I take any extra days off or anything like that. Because... God of War Ragnarok is coming out and I want to be live for that day one. You know, it's one of my most anticipated games of this year and I definitely want to just start playing it. This weekend when the episode actually drops, I should be finishing Horizon Zero Dawn. So we will be starting up the sequel in a couple of weeks and me and Katie still plan on finishing up the quarry. But like I said, this upcoming week is going to be all about God of War. So come watch me cry manly tears over this game live on Twitch and the best way to you know know when we're actually live is checking in on our sister twitter page amazing nerd live go ahead and give us a follow today to stay up to date with everything ans but all right now on to wrestling i'm a two-time hall of famer a 12-time world heavyweight champion and i can assure you from day one from day My father's fingerprint, my grandmother Christine Jarrett, her fingerprints have been all over AEW. But I can assure you, before I get done with this place, there's going to be full body bags. So AEW fans, you can choke on that, slap nuts. Well, all right, the bell has rung and it's getting super late, but we had a huge card with a lot going on this week on Dynamite. So let's just get right on into it. First up, we had a match with Jay Lethal going over Darby Allen thanks to a couple of surprises. So the match itself, I thought was fantastic. Storyline wise, I don't understand how we got here because at first didn't feel like it was teasing that Jay Lethal was going to turn face. Yeah, because I mean, it was only a couple weeks ago he was pushing away Sanjay for, you know, interfering but out of nowhere they attacked darby again dropped a garage door on him for of all things and then claimed that they knew someone who knew all of darby's secrets and weaknesses and uh that's kind of what set this one up 
So I was like, how did we get from point A to point B? But, you know, maybe I missed an episode of Rampage, but I don't think so. But regardless, we got a good match out of it. Jay Lethal teased knowing someone who knows um, Darby better than he knows himself. So, you know, over the past week, people have been kind of speculating who could that possibly be. We have Darby outside of the ring um, and a imposter sting shows up, Uh, you know, Shivani still can't tell the difference between the real Sting and the fake Sting. But uh yeah, Sting, you know, the fake Sting gets in the ring. Uh, you know, Darby's fooled for a second. He gets attacked by the bat. Uh then the imposter Sting gets in the ring and then reveals himself to the sound of crickets. Because who is a Christian? Cole Carter from the factory. Yes, I think this was two dimes. From NXT just uh, last month or maybe a month or two ago uh, showed up on Dynamite. I think he's been wrestling on basically uh, Dark. Uh, I didn't even know he was part of the factory. um, And it seemed like the commentators might not have known that. (laughs) (laughs) Because they kind of said that with like a question mark at the end. Um, Yeah, but the crowd had no clue who he was. As the heels start to scurry away. And then, lo and behold, standing behind Darby is none other than Jeff fucking Jarrett. (laughs) And at this point, my mind exploded. Uh, Jarrett grabs the mic. He's playing the last outlaw character that we saw him playing in GCW uh, when he wrestled against Effie. he gets on the mic, cuts a promo, talking about how he knows Darby's weakness, which is Sting. Uh, and then he also berates the AEW audience and basically says he's taking over and there's going to be body bags. So my guess is this is all going to lead to a match, you know, between Darby and Sting, you know, and uh, Lethal and Jarrett at the pay-per-view. Which I'm fine with as long as it's kind of a one-off deal. Like, I don't need to see Jeff Jarrett wrestle every week. Um, He's taken on an executive-like role with the company, which I actually think is a really good hire. I think he's going to be basically doing the same job that he did for WWE before he was released, um, where he's going to be helping them with live events. Um, He's got tons of experience. He's a good person for Tony Khan Mm -hmm. to lean on. You know, he couldn't get a job with WWE, so he started his own fucking company. (laughs) Which, you know, say what you want to say about Impact, and I know it's a punchline a lot nowadays. uh, But, man, those first handful of years of Impact were pretty fucking amazing. Um, And Jarrett deserves a lot of credit for what he did for the industry by being like an alternative and really like shining a spotlight on a lot of great talent, a lot of talent that wouldn't be where they are today if it wasn't for Jarrett. So he does have an eye for talent. Um, I mean, he's the carniest of carnies. So I don't know. It it was fun. Regardless, I I definitely popped for because it is it's something that i never imagined we'd ever see in aew i feel like i could handle him being a manager for a little while if that's what they want to do but yeah i don't don't need him in the ring week after week yeah i after a while Jarrett kind of sucks the air out of the room because he has a way of making Mm. everything about him and that was kind of like the biggest like negative when it came to those early years of tna 
where it's it just felt like the main event always had to revolve around him because you know he's the owner of the fucking company um who he would argue like he was the person he could trust the most but it's a little more to do about ego at the end of the day <laughs> but yeah i mean it's been part of the nwo he's been i mean he, he was uh, shit he was a member of fucking uh the bullet club for a day <laughs> So, I mean, the guy's literally done everything. So his experience alone makes him a worthwhile hire. Well, after that, John Moxley cut a promo backstage on Lee Moriarty. Um, this time he was kind of trying. To, it seemed like he was trying to put over his match overall. Uh, I, I wasn't too into this one compared to usual. Like, I, I don't know. It, it just felt a little off. I think Moxley hits it out of the park so often that, you know, an average promo just, you know, seems so, you know, just not like him that you're t- kind of taking it back, right? Fair He's enough. not talking about gargling piss or anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, after that, we had another little promo with uh, the elite getting edited out of another video package. So what do you think? Uh, do you think they're going to come back at full gear and face off against Death Triangle? Uh, well, I mean, it's just like two weeks away. So I don't like unless they're coming back like next week and they announce it. Or do you think it'll be happening at the pay-per-view where they would actually make the challenge and wrestle at the pay-per-view if they if they. See, I feel like then that's just going to be a surprise where they come out and then maybe they lay down the challenge. They won't actually wrestle. Gotcha. But my guess is they're going to want the elite at the pay-per-view wrestling, you know, for those buy rates. So I, I'm going to say that maybe yeah, next week or the week after, you know, they come out and, you know, maybe say their piece. I'm sure they're going to have a chip on their shoulder, but then like, you know, lay down the challenge against Death Triangle, which is, you know, they're kind of in disarray right now so i'm mm-hmm. sure they're gonna you know get those titles back sooner than later at this point uh after that we had the match with john moxley and lee moriarty um it was an aew world title eliminator with moxley going over so this was a really good match they were getting some good momentum and then uh the baltimore quarterback showed up and completely <laughs> yes. like derailed the audience um i <sighs> thought there was a fight happening in the crowd or something because I was like, what is going on? What they're like chanting and everything like and then they start chanting MVP and I was like, oh, mm. some some athletes in the crowd or something. And then sure enough, you know, the announcers called attention to it. Uh, unfortunately for Moxley and Lee, they never got the crowd fully back. It, it feels yeah. like after this. So kind of just I don't know, just ruined what they had going um, and the match itself was fine. Um, so after the match, Morrissey came out, uh, nailed Moxley with the big boot. Uh, Ethan Page, who was actually doing a great job on commentary, uh, came to the ring and basically, you know, stated his case for, you know, being the next number one contender. And we know that, you know, Page is going to be in the uh, uh, championship eliminator tournament, which I guess they did last year also uh, around this time. So and that's for a championship match at uh, Winter's Coming. They're featuring Paige a lot, uh, at least the last couple weeks. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't end up walking away with the win in the tournament. Um, hmm. Although we don't know who else is part of the tournament, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my tune will change once they announce the rest of the brackets. Um, I'm, I'm hoping Ricky Starts is, you know, going to be, you know, part of this thing because we haven't seen him in over a month. 
at this point. And I know they just announced that he is, we're going to hear from him at, on Rampage. So maybe it's him announcing, you know, his involvement. But it, uh, maybe it, it feels just a little weird that like he had that big win against Hobbs and mm. we haven't seen him since. They did say they're going to announce more of the matches on Rampage. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, we're only a couple weeks out, like you were saying. So mm. it's got to be, you know, sooner than later. But yeah, no, I, I would love to see Paige get the push, though. I mean, he's well-deserving, and I feel like he has the potential to be, like, on that main event level. But if he if he gets the win, I'm assuming MJF is, you know, world champion. Oh, yeah, know? absolutely, 100%. Like, he'll, he'll be the first, you know, guy for MJF to, like, mow through, mm-hmm. yeah, which I'm totally fine with. I think it, it, it you know... It just helps for him to be kind of seen in that light, in that main event picture. Because, I mean, they've really done nothing with Ethan Page, like, the past year. I mean, he was part of, uh, god damn, what was the name of the the men of the year? <laughs> I yes. already forgot the name of the tag team. Um, I think it's still in his music. <laughs> and I feel like he's just been kind of bogged down with that. Like, he was off to such a hot start with his feud with uh, Darby. And then he just mm. kind of got lost in the shuffle, which is unfortunate because he's super talented. So hopefully this is the start of, you know, big things, you know, for him. After this, we had an interview segment with Soraya. Uh, Renee was going to supposed to have her and uh, Brent on the show, but Brent never showed up. And Soraya made sure to call her out on that. Yeah, it was a little weird. Um, I guess it was more of a schedule thing. So they decided to shoot this separately. Um, I think it got the point across. Um, I'm loving Renee as an interviewer. Um, I'm hoping they give her more segments like this to do. It's just something different than just, you know, being a human mic stand in the back, you know, just sitting there mm. waiting to be interrupted by another wrestler. Because <laughs> that's pretty much what Shivani does at this point. Um, but yeah, no, I like that Renee brings personality. She also, like, you know, they kind of harped on their past relationship and everything like that. Um, and it felt like Soraya was comfortable. You know, during this, um, you know, obviously it's pre-recorded, but, you know, she got her point across. And I mean, it looks like we're going to be getting a match at full gear. So that's exciting. I mean, it's a big deal to have her back in the ring after how many years? So um, and you don't get a better opponent than Britt Baker. So um, just hopefully she can, you know, stay healthy. You know, and safe. Yes. After showing off Lamar Jackson in the crowd, we got a quick background segment with William Regal, who's cutting a promo on MJF about his main event match at Full Gear, saying that uh, Moxley will go over him either way. Yeah, I'm surprised that that they decided to keep MJF off TV, uh, especially with them seemingly pulling out every fucking trick that they had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> To, you know, keep the audience engaged, uh, you know, knowing that they're going up against the World Series. Uh, But maybe that's part of the reason why they did that. So because, I mean, this was definitely a three ring circus of a show. (laughs) Um, But I mean, this was a nice little reminder of that storyline and everything. I still have this, I don't know, this feeling that this is all a ruse and we're going to have Regal, you know, ending up betraying Moxley and, you know, siding with uh, MJF at the end of the day. It's a cool storyline. I just don't know if they're, you know, if they thought about it or not. We'll see. Then we had the party of all parties with Daddy Ass's birthday bash. This was a little too long for my liking. Uh, I don't know, man. I I feel like if you keep on doing segments like this, you're going to burn out the crowd with a whole Uh, scissoring fad right now. 
Um, keep it simple. You know, uh, I would much rather see the acclaim in a match. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, this was fine for what it was. Uh, I'm at, could have been a birthday match, you know, like, yeah. Or just not celebrate his birthday at all. And just have a match. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't like the whole broken finger storyline they did with swerve. That was weird. Uh, just felt way too hokey for AEW. Uh, you know, that happened on rampage. Uh, also I'm starting to think that we are going to have a situation where Keith Lee does surprise everyone and turn heel here. You know, mm. he's playing way too innocent. I'm wondering if that's how Swerve to Our Glory walks away with those titles. You know, Lee chooses to go to the dark side, um, you know, cheats to win, takes those belts off of the acclaimed. And that way you can really set up, you know, a heel versus, you know, face situation mm. between, you know, Swerve to Our Glory and FTR. Yeah, because we had that moment after you know, the ass boys came out and Morrissey attacked the acclaim, you know, FTR made the big save, but then they, you know, held up the belts, you know, and gave it a long, a longing glance uh, before they mm-hmm. handed them over. So they're going to be in that title picture sooner than later. So it's not going to be too long before they get, you know, their title shot. Do you think he was really going to adopt two other people other than his sons, you know? Like, he's just going to throw them away I don't, That looks pretty fucking official to me. I mean, <laughs> that's not how adoption works. You don't throw away your other kids when you adopt Christian. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's how he's acting, though. Well, they did, they did attack him, you know, in all fairness. Uh, still his kids. I know. You know? It was weird. I, I understand, like, the ass boys are you know part you know involved in the feud with ftr but i was expecting swerve to our glory to come out here mm-hmm. and yes. they didn't make an appearance it was just strange to me i mean i get it i guess it's probably a case of them trying to just set something up between ftr and the ass boys uh and at the same time just emphasizing the firm too because you know once again it's morrissey you know with the big boot after this, we got a rebuttal from Britt Baker about the situation with Soraya. Um, then they started talking about how they're sick of conspiracies, her and Hater, and decided they'll wrestle two ladies on Rampage, whoever they are. <laughs> two ladies. Um, it's going to be uh, Sky Blue, I believe, and um, Madison Rain is who they're going okay. against. Then Jericho and crew came down to the ring. Uh, saying that he's going to challenge just about anyone for the title. Um, even said he would kick Lamar Jackson's ass for the Ring of Honor before, title. For the Ring of Honor title, yeah. Um, and that's when we got the return of Colt Cabana. So, yeah, I mean, this was surreal moment number two. Uh, it felt like a big fuck you to Punk. Uh, it was also weird because, I mean, Khan has been denying that Punk had anything to do with Colt being off of AEW TV this entire time. So, for him to show up here, it feels like an admission that was actually the case. Uh, you know, obviously, Colt felt that way because when he came out, he was super emotional. And obviously, seeing all the tweets afterwards, the locker room felt that way, too. So because there was a huge like hooray and in your face CM Punk uh, on Twitter. So <laughs> I don't know, man. It, it's definitely weird times in AEW. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to go too deep down that uh, rabbit hole, but my God, um, can we just all get along? 
by all accounts, um, this doesn't mean that Colt is going to be part of the main AEW roster, though, that he's still looked at as an ROH talent. Um, whatever that means, who knows? Um, hopefully that TV deal is, you know, on the horizon at this point, because mm-hmm. that is the rumor. And maybe at the December, you know, pay-per-view, we get that announcement. I don't know. Either way, Jericho's trying to get back on board with his, you know, rampage over Ring of Honor and tried to attack the uh, announcer once more, uh, Ian, Ian Riccoboni. Riccoboni. There you go. Yeah. yeah, this was on the ramp after the match. Uh, Jericho and JAS celebrated up the ramp. I don't know if you caught uh, Jake Hader, like, falling to the ground. Before he got there, like grabbing his leg. No, I didn't notice. I don't that. know if he got a cramp or something. It was oh, really. Weird. I thought he was just fucking around. I thought that's what I, I thought. Don't, I don't get it. If he was, I mean, sure. But he's like walking. All of a sudden, he like just like goes down in a heap. Like in, it looks like in pain. So, uh, but maybe he was goofing around. I don't know. So, but yeah, they uh, try to get their hands on Ian Riccoboni again. Uh, you know, Claudio comes out and the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club comes out, even though they didn't save Moxley earlier on in the nights. So I don't know. I bumped up against that. You know, when it comes to like faction warfare, it has to at least make sense. Like, what's the point Mm -hmm. of the factions if they're not going to defend one of their own? Um, usually AEW is pretty good about that kind of stuff, but it did all of a sudden like dawn on me. I was like, well, Moxley got jumped earlier on and they did nothing about it. <laughs> but maybe that's supposed to be like teasing tension in the group. I don't know. Or maybe I'm just trying to read into things to, you know, help it make sense. Uh, but regardless, I, I, I'm done seeing these two factions go up against each other at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be close to what, like nine months? Mm-hmm. I mean, it all started with Kingston, right? And then he called in Moxley and crew. And at this point, we've gone through at least two, like two or three pay per views. Yes, because uh, and tons of special and, events. And as they well, don't so. do monthly pay per views, mind you. So no. there's usually two or three months in between those pay per views. So it just feels like nonstop. Um, and I don't know, like how it all comes to a head. Uh, so I, I don't know. It, it's a little weird. I'm, I'm guessing Claudio's going to be the one getting the title shot at the pay-per-view since he did get a pin over Jericho recently in a tag match. Um, and, you know, since Claudio was the first person to come out to defend Ian, you know, I, I'm guessing that's the direction they're going in. Uh, after that, we had a moment with Death Triangle in the back. Um, Renee was interviewing them and Pac was trying to, you know, give Ray Phoenix the hammer for his match with Orange Cassidy and Luchasaurus. But Ray Phoenix said no. You know, I, I know this is, uh, you know, a three way, but at the same time, like, they are live on camera and <laughs> Pack is, you know, openly trying to get Phoenix to agree to cheat. So that, that was a little weird to me. Um, like not, why not wait to after the interview, but whatever. Uh, I mean, if it doesn't happen on camera, it doesn't exist in wrestling, but it right? did happen on camera. <laughs> <laughs> you're, oh, you're talking about if he doesn't do it. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Whatever. Like they, they could still <laughs> have the moment with, you know, pack offering him the hammer during the match that happened anyway. So, I don't know. This kind of felt pointless to me, but it is what it is. Um, They keep on teasing all this tension with Death Triangle, um, which I think is unfortunate because I'm guessing that after the leak does come back and, you know, 
beats them for the trios title that they're probably going to disband as a group unless they do mm-hmm. all decide to side with pack and go heal but i don't know it doesn't feel like phoenix is going that direction you think they kick pack out put in roosh maybe i mean he's got nothing going on at this point uh-huh. and who knows what's going on with the andrade situation i haven't heard anything for weeks now okay. honestly i mean there's a lot of wrestlers missing at this point that we have no uh-huh. explanation for so i mean he might not even be suspended he might just be sitting in catering we'd have <laughs> no idea because like where where the hell is miro where's eddie kingston like i mean kingston has to be in the doghouse because he has been wrestling on dark um, mm-hmm. but he hasn't been on Rampage and Dynamite in, it feels like weeks, which is ridiculous because honestly, like he's an, at least an upper mid card guy. So, and he's been heavily featured, you know, in the past. So I, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. I don't, but I don't know what's going on with Miro. The last thing I saw him in was a uh, fucking Seamus's wedding. That's about yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, it seems like half the wrestling world was there. So I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Either way, we had Orange Cassidy going over Luchasaurus and Ray Phoenix in their triple threat match for the All-Atlantic Championship. I thought this was probably the match of the night overall. Um, They all worked really well together. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Luchasaurus played his role well, um, which I haven't been super high on him as a heel, but I felt like it it clicked a little more for him tonight. Um, I love watching Orange and uh, Phoenix like together in the ring. Uh, and I hope to see like a one-on-one match between those two in the near future. So I believe they wrestled before, right? Against each yes, other, right? Yes, they have. Right, mm. just, a, just like six months ago or something, right? Yeah, it was sometime earlier on in the year because they brought it up on the show okay. as well. Okay. Also, during this match, we had an appearance by uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry, uh, which the crowd pops huge for. So I'm glad that that, that whole angle hasn't lost any momentum. Um I'll be curious to see where they go next, you know, with Luchasaurus and uh, Jungle Boy, because it feels like they've done everything at this point. So I'm guessing it's going to be some sort of gimmick match, um, you know, at the pay-per-view, perhaps. Uh, But yeah, after that, though, like, I feel like Jungle Boy needs to move on. Unless Christian is miraculously healed, you know, incredibly early. So, um, but yeah, no. They need Jungle Boy to cut ties with this angle after this and, you know, give him something else. Yeah, but we were just saying that. Yeah, no. <laughs> and that's when, but he lost the match. So you knew there, uh, you knew with him losing, they were going to come uh, back. After the match, uh, we had a moment with Pac attacking Orange Cassidy, um, much to his teammates not helping at all. So there are very, very clear division between Pac now and Death Triangle. But after that, out of nowhere, uh, the best friends show up with Shibata, of all people, for a possible... I guess the, the if we forgot to mention, the winner of this match gets a dream match three days later on Rampage. Yeah, I guess the stipulation <laughs> was the winner of the match gets a dream opponent of their choosing. I was like, you could have just had Shibata come out and challenge him, and it would have been fine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no one would have cared. Yeah, it's a little too, like, on the nose, Tony, but whatever. Um, yeah, this was surreal moment number three of the night. <laughs> like, what the? Shibata versus Cassidy on Rampage. Like, Shibata's only had two matches since coming back, and one of them wasn't even supposed to be a match. 
Like he just made it a match while it was happening, you know, to the chagrin of New Japan. So I I don't understand what's going on. Um, mm. I don't know if New Japan's like, hey, you know what? You got to scratch that itch. You just can't do it here. Do it over at AEW. That way, if something goes awry, we can, you know, put the blame on them. Um, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm really excited for this. Um, and, I mean, Tony's been desperately trying to get Rampage's numbers up, supposedly, uh, recently, even though it doesn't seem like his booking would suggest that. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, no. So, I mean, this should be a hell of a match. And I feel mm. like Cassidy's a good opponent to keep Shibata safe. But I guess it's come out that Shibata has two wrestlers in AEW on his wish list. One was Cassidy, and the other one is Brian Danielson. Which will be an amazing match between the two of them. So, I mean, if New Japan was worried about Shibata's health before, like, I can't even, like, they're going to be, like, on pins and needles the entire time. Um, I'm guessing that has to be Mm. a pay-per-view match. I'm wondering if that match happens, if it doesn't happen at like Wrestle Kingdom Mm. or something. You know, I could see that being like a big Wrestle Kingdom match. So, or a big AEW pay-per-view match for that matter. So like maybe, do I mean, because like how do you even book this match? It's for the All-Atlantic title. You're not going to have Cassidy beat Shibata. I, right because i feel like he can't take is shibata I, gonna I win know. the belt i don't think he can take the belt off of cassidy this quick it's shibata yes he can <laughs> it'll be fine it's the all-atlantic if title. he's this sticking is a around belt, man. i don't know no because the, the the gimmick with the all-atlantic title though can is it can places. be like yeah. defended elsewhere so is it something where you see shibata beat cassidy and then brian comes out and makes the challenge uh maybe at Wrestle Kingdom, that would make sense. Or or at the pay-per-view. At Full Gear. You know? I mean, I'm not mad at it if it does happen. Cass- Cassidy's gonna be fine, okay? I understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it sucks having a champion lose so early. But once again, like, I, to me, the All-Atlantic title is the equivalent of the European title in the late 90s. Uh-huh. So, it is what it is. Um, it's just a, a prop for them to wrestle for. <laughs> Um, you know, it's not as something as prestigious as the world titles. I'm totally okay with it being a quick like turnover when it comes to champions with that belt. Like, you know, hell, it could have it. You could have it change hands every other month, and I would be totally cool with it. Especially if it means that we get Brian versus Shibata. So, because I just I can't once again see Shibata his third match back losing to Cassidy. That just once again feels like a fever dream. Uh-huh. Well, after this, we had Rick Ross in the back with Tony Schiavone. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> hanging out with Swerve Strickland. I was definitely, I, I did not expect Rick Ross and on this week's episode. so nonchalant uh-huh. about this. Like, he's always back there or something. And he was great on the mic, too. Uh-huh. He played like, up to everything. Yes. Accusations. He kept on yelling at me, like, I was like, is like Keith Lee and him about to throw down? Like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> but you could tell he was having the time mm-hmm. of his life. So um, this was the segment here where I started to kind of suspect maybe Keith Lee is going to turn to the dark side. Because um, how how many times is he going, is he going to turn the other cheek um, to swerve? Uh, but they did introduce an interesting wrinkle. I don't know if you caught this. Because Keith asked him, 
who was holding the camera during the uh, Billy Gunn segment, you know, when he was breaking mm, yes. his fingers. So, you know, does, you know, Swerve actually have an accomplice, you know, like a, another tag team, you know, partner waiting in the wings for when he does maybe turn on Keith. So I don't know. Yeah, I'd be curious to see if who that you know could possibly be. But I, I, I do like the idea of a heel Keith Lee. I just think that would be a yes. fucking monster of a man going around. Yes, yes, I agree a hundred percent. This, I'd, all, I'd like to see him go up against a uh, Wardlow. Yes, absolutely. Um, this all sets up an eight-man tag match where uh, apparently Swerve set up uh, him and Keith Lee to team up with the Ass Boys against um, FTR and the Acclaimed. Yes, um, and this all was to Keith Lee's dismay. Yes, so. Uh, after that, we had Jade Cargill defeating Marina Shafir um, for the AEW TBS title. Once again, like I'm all for gray, you know, when it comes to you know wrestling angles. But like, who the fuck is the heel in this program right now? <laughs> and like, whose idea was it to have uh, uh, Vicky Guerrero out there doing commentary like live on the house mic? Um my God, that just completely <laughs> ruined this match. Um, Did you like Taz's comments about we, our yes. jobs are secure? <laughs> yes, yes. Like I think Nyla would have been fine, uh-huh. but like you add Vicky into the you know scenario, and it it just my God, it was awful. It was it was bad TV. Um, you know, which is unfortunate because I feel like everything Nyla has been doing up to this point with this angle, even though it doesn't make any sense. Has been fun, but this was a mess. After that, like we saw on Twitter um, recently, we had a big video package from the House of Black uh, with Julia Hart uh, kind of ushering in the dead bodies of his of her uh, you know team. Yeah, this was some weird like Viking like black metal funeral or resurrection ceremony. I guess <laughs> I dug it. Like as long as they're not doing it live in front of the crowd. Uh, I'm fine with this kind of stuff. I'm just happy that they're coming back to AEW um, because it was definitely a downer when it seemed like we were going to have Malachi Mm -hmm. Black, you know, part of the roster anymore. Um, You know, and it's just in time, you know, for, you know, the reemergence of the elite. uh, So you can really get that like trios division up and going because really like it's like Khan introduced those belts and then the division just evaporated, right? (laughs) So, I mean, like, what better way to kick off the Elite's first reign as trios champs than, like, a feud with, uh, you know, House of Black? That, I, that, that, I mean, those are, Mark, I mean, that's a dream matchup no, right I, there. That's something we've been waiting for since Alistair, you know, debuted in the company. Exactly. I feel like that should be a program that lasts into next year for sure. And then out of nowhere, we got that Tony Storm will be defending her AEW interim women's title against Jamie Hayter at full gear. And following that, we had a video package of their history. And I mean, better late than never. I feel like they're going to tear down the house together. Um, Tony has been having a great run as champ. Like Mm -hmm. she has consistently been out there putting on great match after great match. I think it's probably the most like consistent uh, women's title run. You know, since the beginning of AEW, honestly, like match wise, match quality wise. So I feel like haters probably going to walk away with the title at the pay-per-view. 
but it's just going to be such a shame, you know, like, and I understand why Tony would do that because people will lose their minds if like Hater, you know, loses here. But I don't know. I like, it just feels like such a waste of Storm's reign as champion because she's interim champion too. Like, so I don't yeah. even know if this like run even counts I don't in the think books. it does. That's because the... like Moxley's title uh-huh. wins don't count the interim no. uh, title run he had, which is like, what? <laughs> Well, what's the point of being the the interim like champ? It's basically just like a number one kendership until the real champion comes back. Exactly. Like I didn't mind the idea of an interim like champion when AW first introduced the concept because they do it in like the UFC and everything and other sports. But like, if that means that they're not even going to be recognized in the history books as champion, you know, for their you know reign, I don't understand what the point is. Exactly. And I'd have to assume if Thunder shows back up after this, uh, Hater would have to beat her, right? Yeah, the rumors are that she's supposed to be back sometime in January. Um, and I mean, it's just such a shame that like Tony's like if she does lose and I'm assuming a lot here, but it's just going to be such a shame. Like if this whole, you know, run isn't recognized, <laughs> like I would... I, they should have just had, you know, some situation where, you know, Thunder got hurt during the match or something mm-hmm. like that, like scripted. So then, you know, she can take a quick pinfall without risking any further injury or something. Because um, this, I mean, this kind of sucks. Yeah, because ideally you just would like to see Tony be recognized as like the proper women's champion, you know, before she faces off against Hater, you know, and possibly drops that belt. Um I don't know, man. It's weird. Last but not least, we had the main event where Samoa Joe got Brian Cage to tap. I thought this was another great match. Um, I was surprised that this was the main event and not like the Moxley match or the Jericho match, but whatever. Um, You know, I I don't think I've ever seen anyone like pump handle slam Joe the way uh, Cage did. Mm. Like, I don't think I've ever seen Joe upside down. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of scary for a a moment there. Uh, But yeah, no, I I thought this was a fun match. I mean, Cage has really been like out there proving himself Mm. since his resurgence in AEW. Um, You know, he's got, it feels like he's got something to prove. And I mean, he's doing it uh, by putting on some quality matches. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I, that's never been a doubt for me, like his skill level. It's just kind of like that lack of charisma. That's my biggest issue with Cage. Um, he needs like a really solid like mouthpiece in his corner, um, you know, to get him over. So uh, was well, that but- not Prince Nana? <laughs> I don't get it, man. Like uh. I know, like Ring of Honor fans like have this like thing for the guy, but. It just feels like such a crappy 80s, like, manager gimmick. Um, and he hasn't done anything to, like, change my mind. <laughs> so uh, it is what it is. Uh, but I'm happy for, for Cage because uh, he's been putting on bangers, man. Like, he really has. Uh, after the match, we had Gates of Agony jump uh, Samoa Joe. Of course, Wardlow uh, came out and made the save. But, but that in turn saw Powerhouse Hobbs come out. Uh, and leave Wardlow Lane. Uh, this was identical, it feels like, to the ending we got of Rampage 
this past Friday. <laughs> so it was a little weird, but maybe Tony saw the ratings for Rampage and figured no one saw that show. So <laughs> might as well just do it again. <laughs> because I think they scored like their lowest rating ever. So uh, it was going up against a lot of competition, though. But yeah, no, I'm excited for Wardlow versus Hobbs, though. Um, th- that's going to be a hell of a match. I- I- I'm assuming that's happening at the pay-per-view. I just don't know who walks away with the title. Like, it feels way too soon to take the belt off of Wardlow. But at the same time, I don't want to see Hobbs, like, lose his momentum. So I, I don't know what direction they're going to go in. Yeah, I mean, I really want to see Hobbs hold that title as well. So, I mean, it's... It's hard because, yeah, Wardlow's reign just hasn't felt like it's been, you know, all that much. You know, he has he's barely had any matches against real foes. And, you know, Hobbs would be the first big foe, I could say, taking the title off of him. But I I, I, I don't know. It's so hard to say. Yeah, like, it's it's been a lackluster reign for Wardlow, mm-hmm. but it's not his fault. It's the booking's fault. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there were weeks where he wasn't even on the shows. Uh, and then he's been kind of like stuck in this like ROH drama, which I understand like Tony's trying to keep the name out there, but it's to the detriment of, you know, Wardlow's, uh, you know, push, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause you could definitely feel it in his matches, like the crowd, they're nowhere near as behind him as they were during his feud with MJF. But I'm wondering like, is it a case of them wanting to get the belt off of Wardlow so he can, you know, face off against MJF when he does win the world title. Because it only makes sense storyline-wise that Wardlow would be one of the first guys in line, uh, you know, to to get a title shot from MJF. Especially since he manhandled him and, you know, defeated him pretty soundly last time we saw those two, you know, in the ring together. It really depends on what way they want to take MJF. Is he going to be face? Is he going to be heel? Or is he going to be a tweener? What what are they going to do? I guess we'll find out soon enough. But anyway, make sure to join us next week as we continue on the road to full gear. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. What happened with you, you motherfucker goat? I am talk, the sylvan, a rare and intelligent creature. You're a dick. Balls. Balls I got from humans!